For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, welcome along to another episode of My Mate Bought a Toaster. I'm still grinning because I've just finished doing the episode you're about to listen to. And, oh, it was so lovely. This guy is brilliant. Rufus Sewell, I've been pursuing him for ages to come on this uh, podcast. And genuinely, I'll try and keep a bit of it in at the beginning. He had no idea what the show was. And I told him about a thousand times on our Twitter correspondence. And the first thing I say to him when I'm chatting to him is, he's in LA, I'm here in London. And the first thing I said was, right, I need you long in details for your Amazon account. And he went, oh, what? I'm sorry, what? So it was very stressful. Anyway, it was a really fun episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Anyway, the reason I'm, I'm mainly jumping in here is to say thank you, thank you for all your lovely comments about last week's episode with Susanna Constantine. Obviously, she brought up stuff about uh, her recovery as an alcoholic. And um, thank you for people who got in touch with us about the show, saying how much they enjoyed it, how uh, encouraging it was when people talk about these things and all the awareness and all that stuff. So basically, a great big hug. Thanks for that. Uh, right, that bit's done. Let's crack on with today's episode. Enjoy. Right now, listen to me. Are you ready for the awkward bit? I'm going to log into your Amazon. How do you feel about that? Um, um, I feel... I didn't know about that. What is this? What's the idea? Okay. <laughs> I log into your Amazon account. I log into my guest's Amazon account, yes. right? And then I go through it and say, why the hell did you buy this? Why did you buy that? And we talk about... And then we talk about your life, right? Oh so God. it is your... Yeah, this this is what... I, I explained this. I wish you'd read your messages. I did explain that it's awkward. This is scary. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hello. Welcome along. It's my mate, Bought a Toaster. I am absolutely thrilled to be joined this week by a man who had no idea what he was letting himself in for. Please welcome the fabulous actor, Rufus Sewell. Rufus, hello. Hello. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm probably, probably a bit too excited, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. So now, obviously, Rufus, we speak to you. Where are you right now? You're on the other side of the sea, aren't you? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in West Hollywood. Literally just got back um, um, from the Dominican Republic yesterday, where I was oh. on a lockdown set for two months, which was kind right. of interesting. What's the difference between... The, well, the normal... So this is a set where we were living... Uh, on a hotel, on a resort, and the entire staff and crew were testing three times a week. Um, no one entered, no one left without being, um, you know, locked away in their room until they were cleared. And that's what we did. We basically didn't see anyone else. We weren't allowed to leave the complex. We were able to go to, you know, um, to the to the set, which was just one beach. Yeah. And that's what we did for two months, you know, and it was... What have you been filming, please? What is the project? I've been filming an M. Night Shyamalan film called... Oh, amazing. Called Old, which obviously I've lobbied to change that title, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we've been doing. It's now going to be called Young at Heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Still got it. And will that come out what? The thing is with films, it takes ages for them to turn around, doesn't it? It does. And I don't know what it's going to be like, you know, this time. But um, but I think, you know, the thing about M, M. Night, I don't know, it took me a long time to know what to call him. Like, do you call him M or M. Night? But Night, it took a long time for Night. Uh, I mean, he, he, um, he finances everything himself. He produces it. So basically, he's kind of got his little deal sorted with the studio. He already okay. seems to have a release date, which is in June. Um, but I don't, I don't know what is what and what even release means anymore. 
you know? If the film's called Old, that probably means it's coming out on VHS. But actually, what we say <laughs> now, Rufus, is we say it drops, mate, actually. So oh, yeah. dropping it. <laughs> yes. So... Sorry. So I'm going to get up with the lingo that was really cool five years yeah. ago. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, um... that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, listen, talking of five years ago, let's head back to the past. Because what we do on this podcast, which of course you'll know because you were completely prepared for this, is I go right back to the beginning of your experience of Amazon. So I'm going to 2001. Yes. Okay. 2001, when you were living, you were living in Kentish Town. I was. Yeah. You were, oh my God, Rufus, you were living about one street away from me. I was on Osney Crescent. Oh my God, Town. yes. Before, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm informed that Kentish Town is actually quite kind of hip now. At the time. It's recovered. I, rem- yeah, I, re- I remember, I mean, when I bought there, it was called Kentish Town. I remember when I was selling it, they were calling it Kentish Village and uh, Lower Highgate. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, um, Rose Hill East. Yes, exactly. I had a really lovely, like, it was an old converted piano factory that I had the top half of. Wow. Um, wow. Yes, that's many moons okay. back. Okay. So, young man living in uh, Kentish Town in August 2001. The first thing you buy is uh, Middle March from 1994, starring, oh, look, Rufus Sewell. Yes. So, that's good. Did I? Why did I buy that? Why did I buy that? What what was it? A DVD? What was it? Yeah, it's a DVD. Oh, look at your curls, love. I know. I can't think why I would have done that because it's not like (laughs) I watch my old stuff. Maybe I was forcing it upon some poor fucker. Maybe I was (laughs) trying to convince someone that I could do serious acting without playing a baddie or something probably at that stage who knows certainly wasn't for my own delectation no I, there's nothing worse than watching yourself back surely no god well it's not everyone is like that i have known actors who if you end up a group of you going back to their place they'll put on something of theirs <laughs> <laughs> so awkward. I, have ex- I have experienced it and then shush you when it gets to a good bit that they don't want you to miss and rewind it <laughs> I have actually experienced this. Like, hold on, hold on, you missed a bit. There was, oh no, watch, shh, shh, don't watch this bit. There is a bit, watch, 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 watch. Yeah, it's good enough. Oh. You know, literally, and I'm talking about a room full of eight people who just wanted to drink, you know. Name names. No, oh, come on. Not, who, who I, I could not have told you, told you this story if I thought I was going to tell you that. Oh, Flair, so annoying. Someone to, uh, in, in all other ways, quite, quite a nice person, but just, just I also can't have pictures of me up you know no, I know. like I yeah, in yeah. in Los Angeles they have a thing with dry cleaners where they have celebrity photographs yes of course they do yes you know so what happens is they ask you if they recognize you mm. if they can have a picture but what that means is I can just never go back in there again <laughs> you know as far as I'm concerned I, I, I couldn't frequent a place when there was a picture of me saying you know go get him tiger or something underneath <laughs> it which is obviously what I write yeah, yeah, yeah. Rufus Sewell gets his pants cleaned up <laughs> This dry cleaners. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Um, so Middle March from 94, was that a was that a big moment in the career? Was that a that wasn't breakthrough? Was it breakthrough? I don't know about that because my career's always kind of had the same pattern that there would be an apparent breakthrough that would this just kind of ebb away. Um, you know, so I've had many attempted many I, I would always say that I have um uh, I've I've got a, a boost proof career. Yes. That basically, occasionally something will happen. But it, it comes back to a kind of very, very livable medium. Median. Yeah. But uh, that was one of my first breakthroughs. I got Arcadia and Middlemarch at the same time. Okay. And they were both set in the same period, 1815 or so. And because I got them at the same time, we had them over a barrel. Otherwise, I'd have, if I'd got one first, they would have claimed me. But because I got both at the same time, I was able to do both. And they worked it out so I could go between doing Middlemarch and doing the National, which they did, you know, for a couple of months at a time. Oh, my so that kind of, So that kind of changed things for me. Um, but I suppose it's as close to a breakthrough as I ever had. The actors on set must have hated you if you're getting into your car to head down to the Nash every night. Oh! <laughs> no, no, I wasn't quite doing that. Though I did do that once. I did that when I was doing um, a film called The Woodlanders and Rat in the Skull. I did that at the same time. Mm. Um, and that was... An, um, <laughs> that, that didn't really work out. I mean, it did with the play. Oh, yes, it really did <laughs> the, with the play. The play survived. Yes, the play won awards, yeah. didn't it? No, I... Um, I, I don't know if it did. I don't know if it did. It was one of the best things I'd ever done, and I don't think it did win awards, which is a very useful thing, a very useful lesson to learn quite early on, is that sometimes your best work 
does not get noticed. And sometimes work that you know is not your best does. Mm. So I think it all evens out. Yes, you know. yes, yes, yes. Well, that's why I do podcasts, definitely for the former, not the latter of those two. Um, listen, listen to this. this now, now the humiliation begins. Now I see why you were nervous about me doing yes. this. 2nd of December 2001, yes. you know, we're weeks after 9-11. The world's on its knees and you go for comfort and, and entertainment by buying, you spent £20 on this, Jeremy Clarkson, top 100 cars. Yes, there was a stage when I was obsessed with classic cars. This is, this is, uh, yeah, oh my goodness, I remember. Yes, what a different, what a different world. So yes, there was a point when I was into stuff like that. I was also into, I mean, Jesus, in terms of spending, I used to waste my money on such bollocks. I was like really into audiophile quality stereos. Oh, that's bollocks. That is bollocks. Shit like that. Um, And yeah, and also just kind of looking at, um, not things like Ferraris um, and stuff like that, but like kind of really rare, weird British classic cars, like things like the Gordon Keeble. And I drove a Bristol, which I still loved that car. Mm. But yes, that's really, really um, embarrassing, but quite <laughs> accurate. That was the thing that I was into. I mean, it didn't often stoop as low as that. I mean, you know, I, I'd run out of all the classic car books, which were embarrassing enough yeah. before I got to that. Even. I'm trying to work out what's more embarrassing, bringing people back to your flat to make them watch you or looking at your classic car DVD with Jeremy Clarkson. I can't quite work out. <laughs> but all I, all, I know is, all I know is that I'm now imagining you as the sort of the Bergerac of Kentish Town in 2001 with your classic oh car. Oh my God, it's so, yes, exactly. But how old, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to pry about your age because obviously all actors are roughly 25 but when you i'm 53 thank you 2000 i've just turned 53 good so 2001 you are however old you are 30 with you know classic cars and all that sort of stuff that's a reasonable sort of you that's quite it's quite premature midlife crisis territory there yeah definitely you could look at it that way um i've had probably on about my fifth midlife crisis now but (laughs) but at the time it was i think it was about trying to work out what to do with money that i had never really planned on getting. So when I, cause I, 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 I must add another thing that I'd only just learned to drive at this point. Oh, wow. I actually couldn't drive till I was about 30. That's late. Why so late? Why so late? Because I couldn't be bothered. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, my dad was the same. Um, I would get taxis or the tube or walk. I always, you know, and then I learned to drive very late. I was, I learned to drive in Australia actually, when I was doing Dark City. Okay. My first driving lesson, actually, here's a bit of trivia for you, was with Kiefer Sutherland, <laughs> who took me driving around the film set and, and outside. What? <laughs> what is happening? Yep, that's what true. What is happening? Your first... And your, then my... Oh, my God. Yeah, first time I ever... Don't you dare move yeah. on from that. Your first driving lesson was with Jack Bauer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, how come? No, there's only one time before that that I ever drove. Mm. And that was, I did a film called <clears throat> the, A Man of No Importance with Albert Finney playing a bus conductor in Dublin who's convinced he's, who, who fantasises that he's Oscar Wilde. And I was his bus driver who was Bosie. And I arrived in Ireland and someone called me, um, I think it was a second AD, and said, oh, Roy Rufus, we're, someone's going to be picking you up at like um, nine in the morning to take you for your bus driving lesson. Are you familiar with driving a bus? Because <laughs> we're going to take you down to the bus depot and the man's gonna, your man's going to take you through the you know, procedure. And that was my chance to say, I can't drive. But I said, familiar with driving a bus? Uh, no. <laughs> Right. That's what I said. And then I put the phone down and I'm just, <laughs> so they picked me up and they took me to the bus depot. And this man said, I- I've heard you not driven a bus before. And I went, no. He said, so it's pretty much like a normal car, first gear set. And I said, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you, and I was, I was literally sitting behind the steering wheel at this point. I said, Could you just run that? I mean, obviously, just so I can show me through the gears again. And that's, this is the clutch. She said, right, 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 right. And I went for a drive. <laughs> And that was the first time I'd ever driven. The second time I drove was in Dublin when they were filming in a town square. Um, and this is like, talk about actor's nightmare. I just didn't tell anyone I couldn't drive. Oh, my God. And I, and I, my second time driving was on camera driving Albert Finney on a bus with a rig, with a lighting rig on the side of the bus. And there is, I don't know if they replaced the lamppost that I knocked down, but it did happen. <laughs> no, did you actually crash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so, but my first actual, I didn't crash, but I knocked over a lamppost. 
And then my third time, my actual driving lesson was when our Kiefer stepped in to save the day. So a question I've never asked before, but you know, this is the first, yeah. first for everything, especially on this podcast. What is Kiefer yeah. Sutherland like as a driving instructor? Very calm, very he was very nurturing. <laughs> um, he, was, he said he, he couldn't believe that I couldn't drive. And we stepped out of the makeup trailer. We got in his Holden, which is an Australian car. Yeah. And he took me out of the showgrounds, which is now Warner in Sydney. And I, I went for a drive. <laughs> with Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> and, and with Kiefer Sutherland telling me what to do. The, yeah. And the rest is history. That is amazing. I mean, I feel like wrapping up the podcast there. That's got to be, the, that's the best. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta spice up your life in the bedroom. How about you go online and buy a sexy costume? Love it at this age doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Oh, it's time you felt so fine. You buy a sexy costume. Nine orders now in 2005. Uta Hagen's actually acting class finally you're getting some acting lessons oh that's that's actually i that's what it's called this is actually really useful because that is such a brilliant dvd because i I, you know went to an english drama school but i was always obsessed with method acting Mm. Mm. And, you know, one of the places that I wanted to go to was East 15. I didn't even know about the drama centre until I got into Central. But I'd always, even though I went to a kind of, you know, more or less down the down the middle kind of drama school, I was one of the actors that was kind of um, really obsessively trying to trying to work work out the method on my own. And Uta Hagen's video is such a brilliant practical I'd like to get that again now I've been reminded what it's called. Oh, well, listen, I can just cl- I can simply click on buy it again, but it might go to a previous house. <laughs> I won't do that. Well, you know, she's, you she says really brilliant, brilliant, useful things. Like she says to an actor, because it's like a, a class and it's video. She said, people never stand up when they can sit down. <laughs> <laughs> what a so brilliant good. thing to hear what wonderful permission oh, to have god I... you know because you see all these actors especially young actors at drama school standing there frozen with their arms swinging so they can look open and present and only actors do that yes you know? people do that in real life are you sitting down now i'm sitting down now oh, of course yeah. and really you know in real life if there was a chair you'd fucking sit on it wouldn't you yes yeah, wouldn't so stand true. there swinging your arms to show that your perineum's open yeah you should go in you should be in a really aggressive direction director you'd be a great pissed off director sit the fuck down <laughs> exactly. um so Utagen, so she's all about the the method and do you actually still do that and obviously all actors say they're constantly learning and all that sort of stuff no i wouldn't say that i'd say that you know in my experience when i've worked with my heroes they work in a similar way they read it a lot they try to relax and have a nice time and the rest is just secret it's just what they do you know and uh, no i i think most Good actors. You know, when he was, when Stanislavski was was writing his theory, he he said, this isn't what the great actors do. The great actors just do it naturally. And this is the system for when it doesn't happen naturally. Yes. Yes. Good. Which is a really great thing to hear because all these people straining away. I've worked with people who call themselves method actors and I've worked with people who, you know, say that they don't believe in all that. And the only difference between them is the good ones and the bad ones. You can't tell from what they say their method is at all. I loved, I mean, we worked together very fleetingly on Victoria and just the, there's a, there's an atmosphere and a vibe on set and, and the lead character, the lead actors on set create the atmosphere of the set. And luckily all my scenes were with you. And it just meant everyone was like, guys, we, there's this sense of this is fun. This is fun, isn't it? This is fun. That's all it, it is. It was so much that's fun. We had such a lovely time. Well, but that's the thing I've just worked. Um, I just worked with Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. I just did a film with them. Yeah. And it was the same. I've, it was the most, I had to remind myself that I was working with, you know, my favourite actors and my hero mm. when I went home because it just felt you were having a nice time with some rather good actors <sighs> and hearing some lovely stories, which would be interrupted by him popping up and getting a fucking Oscar. And then <laughs> he'd get his Oscar and he'd come back and he'd finish his anecdote, oh, you know, and he was right. telling me his, I mean, it was... Because he was saying, oh, I, I lived in Los Angeles for a while. And <clears throat> I remember I wasn't, um, you know, my manager was telling me to go out and see more people. And, you know, because I wasn't getting work, which I was thinking, oh, what? that's good. That makes me feel so much better. Yes. And he said, well, eventually I did get a job. And I said, what was that? He said, the elephant man. I went, oh, fuck off. <laughs> 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 the elephant. Oh, really? That was the little gig. Okay. <laughs> I was feeling so kind of, you're like me, aren't you? We're the same. No. Okay. It's a little reminder. It is a tremendous comfort when you hear people like that say, well, I wasn't getting any work, but it is, that's a terrible ending. That's a sting in the tail there. <laughs>
Hello, my name's Beth Murray, and if you'd like to hear funny people talk about giving birth, then have I got the podcast for you. Poor Richard, he made the <laughs> schoolboy <laughs> error of standing up to see the baby while I was on the operating table, and I think that's really not recommended. <laughs> you were scarred for life, he was scarred for life. In the latest series of One Torn Every Minute, a whole labour ward of new guests tell me their birth stories in hilarious and graphic detail. Gas and air can suck my... That's one torn every minute. Available now on all good podcast platforms. I suppose you wouldn't do it at all, would you, if you really thought about it? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When they're looking through your shopping history and they don't understand it. Red-handed. 2008, one order placed in the whole year. This makes my job very easy when there's only one item a year, by the way. Thank you for that. Uh, yes. it, you bought- it, depends, it depends what it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Here we go. Good luck. <laughs> strap in or strap on. Uh, no. um, 17th of March, 2008, you bought the Fun Table football game. The only thing you bought all year. Do you remember buying that? Yes, I bought that for my son. Nice. Okay. And I bought that for my son in a year when I wasn't able to see him so much because I was working in another country and he was with my ex. So now I look back on that and think, in terms of my ex and her new fella, what a fucking wankers thing to do. <laughs> I meant it in the nicest way, but now I look back and I think, they were actually really decent not to say what are we going to do with this you prick because it's huge (laughs) it's like a really it's like if i'd had the kind of brain that thinks these things it would be a perfect passive aggressive fuck you (laughs) but i didn't mean it that way at all i I realized that i bought that because they still have it it's like a full-on size of an actual football pitch (laughs) it's like actually a kind of aggressive present i now realize because it takes up a lot of room and i'm really embarrassed but i didn't mean it that way at all it's up there with the drum kit that's that's got to be the disaster yes exactly exactly that must have been hard that must have been very tricky to be uh, to be uh, not only split up but also on the other side of the world working that must that can't be easy no it was it was very hard um but i decided then and it's been pretty much my policy since then um though it's less necessary now because of the age he is and because the amount of work that i did in england once i came here was that any money that any money that I would save, um, I would spend on flights back and forth. Yes. And also I wouldn't waste my time with business class or anything stupid like that, but just get, you know, because when you're flown, sometimes you're flown in quite a flashy way. And it's very important, I think, not to get used to that Mm. because it screws with your priorities because, you know, I could fly five times coach as long as you have something to read for the price of a, you know, a fancy business class ticket. Yeah. So I would fly back and forth as much as I could. I see what you're saying, but that's because you're a short ass. When you're six foot three, it's a fucking yes, nightmare. Exactly. That's the problem. No, I do. I know I do get it, but I have worked out ways where you can get the bulkhead seats and stuff like that. There are ways around that. All right. Okay, good. The tricks of the trade. No, I wouldn't want to be you. No, it's, it's right. true. I wouldn't want to be well, you. In a, the in the worst seats. one I've had was touring with Stephen Merchant and watching him have to fold himself onto a plane. <laughs> Uh, we took, we did a tour in the Scandinavia and he, we got 23 flights and every single one he wept. Oh my God. Um, look, here we are, 2009. We're coming back to the topic of your mum, I believe, uh, who we, we yeah. touched upon. Joe, jo, this is your yeah. mum. Uh, you bought her Otole- yeah, Otolengi right. the Cookbook, 3rd of November, 2009. Yes. Yes. Because I just had it because I, the kind of, when I went to Otolengi, it reminded me of the kind of things that she would occasionally dream up when we were young. Um, we were quite poor. Um, 
And my dad wasn't with us. You know, I was on like free school meals. We were, you know, properly poor, but at the same time, kind of middle class because we, I mean, it's so weird the way these things are judged because we had a piano mm. and we had books. In many ways, we were quite privileged, but we didn't have any money. Right. So you just have to eat the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, my mum had um, a vegetable round. She had a black London cab, which she, which was her car, and she'd taken the taxi light off and she would fill that full of vegetables that she'd hoodwink out of the Barrow Boys at Q Markets. And she would sell what was not rotten and what was left to a little collection of friends of hers and we would live on what was left. Wow. And so we would eat some very exotic... <laughs> things um strangely enough like one week it would be nothing but like you know artichokes and pomegranates and whatever um but it just really reminded me of my mum's cooking i just knew that she'd love that even though it's not the kind of place she would ever countenance paying for mm. you know she would before she saw the prices at Ottolinga, there's you know this is someone who travels five miles on a bus to get one pence off a can of peas, you know. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Ottolenghi just really, really reminded me of the food that I, you know, ate growing up. That surprises me about your upbringing because you, there's this impression, isn't there? I think people perceive you as being one of the sort of Cambridge poshos who has had all sorts of privilege. And that's, well, as you've been describing, not the case at all, is it? Well, no, I mean, it's just one of the things about casting, you know, that actually it can be a little frustrating because it's like, I, I really... There's, there's no roles that I play that I don't like playing, but the idea that it's kind of like if you get them right, you know, sometimes the only problem I'll have with a role is that if I get it really right, it might confirm a prejudice about the type of actor I am, you know, because actually I can play all kinds of things. But uh, over the years, I've just tried to stop worrying about that. And it doesn't really matter as long as I work, to tell you the truth. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And also, you get to it doesn't matter. do this with, with that background and with your mum, you know, a single parent on the on the breadline, as you've described. How how good must it feel for you now to 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 be in this position and to, to have your mum see you have the success you've got? Oh, it's it's lovely. But I think my mum is so concerned with the success I've got out, out in the world, so to speak, as just as long as I'm happy. You know, if anyone ever asked my mum if she was proud of me, she'd say, I'm proud of both my boys. You know, and, and I like that about her, that, that yes, she's proud of me, but I think she's always been more concerned with, you know, if I'm okay or not. And there's been times when I've been doing very well, you know, seemingly the outside and it hasn't been it hasn't been such plain sailing and i think that's the thing that takes up her attention you know i'm glad to say yes yeah yeah that is good that is good um 9th of march again bought for your mum here uh zen omnibus racking vendetta cabal uh, so this is, I yes. believe, I mean, you know about, you know, there's, yes. you know about the in-joke. I've been meaning to tell you about this for months. There's an in-joke in the Sunday Times. Do you know about this? No. So the Sunday Times in the culture section, they have letters from people and it's letters specifically about TV. And there is a niche in-joke every <laughs> bring week. Bring back Zen. I'm not, Rufus, I'm not, I'm not joking. Every week someone gets a letter and saying, bring back Zen. I've been meaning to tell you this for ages. Yeah. It's up and it makes every weekend I, I look, I go looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> it would make me laugh too. It's good. It's I get that. People come up to me. I love it. It's just the way people think things work. People come up to me and say, you know what you should bring back? That's Zen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll have, a th- I'll have a think about that. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot like, it's like if you do an advert, you do a voiceover for, for something. Oh, did you get loads of uh, free mayonnaise? And no, no, they gave me money. That's yeah. not how it works. It's not how it works. Well, can I tell you, there's something about taking a pay cut to be in a film that turns out to be terrible just because you're desperate to work. And people say, I hope you got paid well for that, mate. Um, because the terrible truth is, no, I actually didn't. <laughs> this this does happen. You do hear about this. Um, was it... Um, yeah. Oh, what was the movie a couple of years ago? Uh, the Quentin Tarantino film, the Nazi German thing. Oh, I forgot what it's called. Inglorious Bastards. Apparently none of them got paid for that. Is that true? Or is that just an urban myth? I don't know, but I do know that, you know, it's it's quite possible that I know that if I was to be offered something with a director who I revere, mm. it wouldn't surprise me to hear, um, no one's really getting paid for this, darling, yeah. you know, is the kind of thing you hear. And in my experience, you know, when I've done films that have turned out to be, that I've, that I've done just praying that they'll turn out okay because I need to work and I haven't, you know, Often, you know, um, the films that will come out will certainly appear to look commercial, mm. you know. But for me, I always did those films. I think um, unwise. I've now realised it doesn't work. But on advice to try to trick myself to to be able to smuggle my way into the small 
kind of quiet indie films that I always wanted to do. And people would say, oh, well, this will help. It never does. Does it, you know. does it feel, no, that, that the idea of, well, that, that part must have opened a few doors for you. Certainly in my yeah, much no. lower grade experience, yeah. I've never had that. But does it feel different when you're on an indie film and people are doing it for passion? Is it a more enjoyable experience than a big commercial blockbuster? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> if I had the chance to only do the, I mean, to tell you the truth, if I could just do small English films, that's all I'd do. Mm. You know, I ended up in America because for a while those didn't come my way. In fact, they've only really started to now. Um, and strangely enough, you know, talking about you do get what you want, just not necessarily when you want it. Yeah. The, the last three significant jobs that I've done have come from the same theatre job I did like 15 years ago. No way. Which one? Rock and Roll, Tom Stoppard. Um, the Marvellous Mrs. Maisel came from that. Yes. The Father came from that. And Judy, to a certain extent, came from, you know, my theatre work too. So it doesn't, as long as it happens eventually, you know. So those kind of, I know Judy isn't a, a particularly small film, but that, that kind of level of British made film mm. is the kind of thing I always wanted to do. And is it because casting directors see you in that or you get to know directors? How does it work exactly? See you in what? Well, when you're doing the play, the Tom Stopper play, this is obviously what I'm doing here is taking notes, trying to work out how to fix my fucking career. But <laughs> is it because you no, get seen by casting directors or because of reviews no. or no, it's because you get seen by teenagers who go on to become playwrights. Oh. That's literally what it is. With you know, Florian Zeller, who did The Father, saw me. I was the first English in the first English language play he ever saw, and that's why he thought of me for this role in The Father. I and mean, it's literally been like 15, 17 years. So it's kind of extraordinary that. Oh my god. I'm not I'm, sure that would have yeah. I'm gonna go and do, I mean. I'm gonna go and do some theatre and education. <laughs> No, it's true. That's why it's, it is worth to just keep doing stuff. You get it, it's. I, I say it first as a joke, but it's totally true that the, the things that you want do come your way, just not on your schedule. Mm, good, good. Just ask the universe, just not in that weird Noel Edmonds way. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're going, we'll be showing that we listen to toast because these lovely yeah. ass people gonna talk to the host. He's gonna ask a couple uh, questions. What they're buying the most? Because one man goddamn just likes a piece of toast. Now, uh, 2012, look, we said earlier on when you bought your son the fuzzball uh, table, uh, 2012, 17th of March, you've bought him a digital drum machine. Thanks! <laughs> yes, but that's something you could plug into headphones. That is reasonable. That's okay, fine. Um, yes, good. Under, Under Milkwood by Stan Tracy, 2nd of February. Yes, I, that was part of my growing up, that record, and um, I had to rediscover it because Under Milkwood... Um, Especially under Milkwood, um, but Dylan Thomas in general is a very big part of my upbringing because <clears throat> my mum is and was a great lover of Dylan Thomas. We lived for a long time and my mother lived until very recently in the Pelican um, in Lahn, which is yes. Dylan Thomas's parents' house. In Because basically my mum sold up and moved to Wales at a certain point mm. and we would you know, kind of survive as best we could back in London and just go back and forth. So Lam was like our second home. Um, and my dad arrived in England in 1953 looking for Dylan Thomas and apparently arrived when Dylan Thomas was busy dying in New York. But um, And he would go to the French house, which was Dylan's old. So that was a very big part of my growing up. So your dad was, what, was a massive Dylan Thomas fan. How do you mean when was looking for him? Well, I don't know. This is just the... I think it was part of the attraction of him wanting to come to England because he came from Australia. I've only heard this in passing because there's a lot of stuff that's just tidbits from people that I get about my dad. I mean, I, there's a lot that that of personal experience, but there's stuff about his past. Mm. And, you know, because I didn't... My dad was much older than my mum, so I didn't know about him as a young man. So now, because I knew that he'd been a, like a wrestler and a bodybuilder and that he'd spent his childhood in hospital. I don't know what the disease was. My mum knows um, that he missed out on his education he had some kind of bone disease um, and they thought he was going to die. But he came out of hospital after years of basically being in hospital, um, uh, having wasted away and couldn't read or write. And apparently he taught himself to read and write and became a bodybuilder and then a wrestler. So my dad always had these scars on his legs, but he was huge. I mean, it had gone, gone slightly to pop by the time I knew. He had a, a lovely big belly um, and he was covered in tattoos and he was an artist. But my dad was this you know, fabled when we were young because being strong is so important and our dad used to be a wrestler. And only recently, through my half-sister and through who we hadn't seen for many years, 
started to get all these photographs of him as a young man and discovered that he sang in a blues band and that that these photographs of him doing these bodybuilding competitions. It's really extraordinary to kind of, at my age, my dad was my age when he died. Wow. You know, which is really something. Yes, yes. So are you now older than your dad was? Have you got past his age? No. Actually, what's really useful in terms of the kind of black spot thing Mm. is that my dad fibbed about his age. We don't know if he was 53, 56 or 51 when he died. So there isn't some terrible, significant age that I'm coming to. I may have already passed it. So that's good when you kind of, when you, you know... It's good not to be too conscious of a thing like that. How well, fascinating that so you've got this the showman and isn't it? Isn't it? And the poetry in your blood, Rufus. Well, I, for me, when I discovered things like that, it was because I didn't know that about him. I always thought that the musical thing came from my mum. But to, so there's photographs of my dad singing in a band. We've just been trying to work out what what it all means. It's extraordinary. There's no context. How did they come to light through your half sister? Through his from the collection of his first. English wife, because he was married three times. First English wife, who died recently, whose daughter, um, Mia, who we're back in contact with, who's gorgeous and a little older than my brother. This trove of his old paintings, which are wonderful, kind of Lowry-esque kind of paintings, and, um, and photographs of this young man that I'd never even you know, visualised before. This, like, bodybuilding, kind of very, very strange. But to, to get my age is... It's kind of fascinating. Yes, it really is. And does it give you, how does it make you feel? Mm. Does it give you sort of quite a lot of peace to know? Because you must have asked yourself so many questions about him. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, and I'm, I'm quite at home with a little bit of mystery. I mean, but um, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, sometimes finding out truths is a little bit disappointing. Like, you know, because I never knew what my dad's um, family background was mm. as an actor people said oh you look quite Middle Eastern I, uh, do you have any Persian in you I could say well, it's possible you know <laughs> um, and I quite liked the fact that it, it was an open book and then I discovered having for years believed that my dad that I was descended from a highwayman called George Sewell <laughs> Which is obviously what you want to believe. Yes. Because um, there's this story that George Sewell, and my brother still says this is true, George Sewell was deported in the 1830s or so for stealing alcohol on a Sabbath from his neighbour, Mr. Bertwistle. Oh, well, quite right. Off to off to Australia with you. Oh, it's funny because we had a neighbour called the We had the, our neighbours with the Bertwistles, Toby Bertwistle and Silas Bertwistle. It was all odd names That's in our street, weird. except for poor old John West. <laughs> stuck in the middle of it. <laughs> It was honestly Timothy Bilbo, Silas Burtwistle, Toby Burtwistle, Adam Burtwistle, Rufus Casper and John West. Did Charles Dickens write your history? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it, do, it does sound like I should be wearing cravats. So, so hang on. So, so you there's, an, there's a family myth that your your um, great-great-grandfather, whatever it was, was basically not long after the Toll Poddle Martyrs naffed off to Australia. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. I think now that that may be bollocks. Um, <laughs> because I'd heard that that actually his, like, grandfather came from the Isle of Dogs. I was like, oh, well, that's not quite as exotic as I'd, you know. Um, so, yeah, so, like, one, one is curious to find out the truth, but I have a feeling that rather than what happens in the, that documentary, rather than find out how fascinating it is, yeah. that it will be a journey of finding out how mundane it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. But there's some happiness there, I've discovered. Actually, embracing your inner mundanity is, is the key. Yes, amazing. absolutely it is. Too right. And this uh, Amazon purchase history is giving that away. You know, here's, here's, here's the mundanity <laughs> of the uh, Amazon Fire TV stick. Absolute yawnathon. Lovely yeah. stuff. Lovely oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then also... A gift to my mother. There you go. I can see that. Yes, £35, mum. Don't pay me back. Um, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> topic hair building oh, yeah. filing. Topic hair yeah, love, we love pouring metal uh, yeah, filings yeah, yeah. on the bald spot. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, very yeah. Good. Very good. Um, we've got... Un- very handy in a spot. Well, yes, isn't it just? As long as the spot stays a spot. That's the problem. Yes. I've, oh, yes, exactly. Um, I have discovered recently that... Um, not recently, but a while ago... To avoid stylists, if you do um, like a, a junket yeah. or if you do, um, you know, premieres and stuff, they say, would you like a stylist? And my thing has always been to say, oh, yeah, what? Yeah, OK. Um, but the last few times I've done one, um, I went to the premiere of 
of a, of a film that I was in. And I realized the fact that I looked like a kind of 1970s pantomime, 1970s ventriloquist puppet. Yeah. You know, that kind of rosy cheeked, who is that one? Lord, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I just looked so desperate. Mm. Um, I've decided to, to, if I'm going to do any of that, do it myself. <laughs> well, but apparently nowadays on set, they don't, uh, friends of mine who are acting at the moment say there's no makeup artist. You have to do your own makeup to keep the makeup artists away for you because of COVID. So, yes, yes. You know. Yeah, well, I think most actors, especially anyone who went to school in the 80s, the only problem would be to stop me from over-glamming. <laughs> uh, this is not about David Bowie, this film. Rufus, please step up. Um, so look, 2017, um, we've got, yeah, there we go, Regain. We've had this a lot before here on My Mate Bought a yeah, Toaster. Yeah. doesn't work. Absolutely doesn't work. It doesn't. I, I gave up. Without, yeah, but actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've still got a full head of hair. You're doing very well. If you you haven't had the uh, you haven't had the old thatch, have you? Not as yet. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, but I, I you know, it does work. It, they do look good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Okay, okay. Never say never. Okay, fine. All right, good. But, I, but with things with things like that, my attitude is, it's I'd rather. It's just like being grey and with wrinkles and stuff. I think. I'd rather because the people who have had it done well, definitely with this with the surgery. Not that I'd want to anyway. It just you look so sad. I know. Better to you know. It's just a, you, you see them around a lot in the gyms here. The slightly puffy kind of mm-hmm. filled out looking face. Also, the fact it looks also a little bit like late stage cirrhosis, <laughs> but that kind of slightly puffy look. Yes, I mean it's like yes, it, you know. It, it, I know I don't like my wrinkles, but when if they were gone, it would look really super. Because you don't look younger; you just look like a certain type of person. I think wrinkles are absolutely fine. I don't like going on my hair's thin. I like really my perfect. wrinkles. I like. I love your wrinkles. My son points out new wrinkles to me now. He goes, "Daddy, look, that's new," and he's looking on the side of my eyes. Thanks. <laughs> I know. So does my yeah. my my daughter grabs mine, but I like. I mean, also you. You know, I, you know, it, it, it's a matter of luck where they turn up. I've got a few, a few new ones that I don't not altogether pleased with their placement. <laughs> okay, but, you know, all right. Okay. What are you going to do? Fine. Well, exactly. Because, <laughs> um, and this is interesting, and I think I know why you're getting this one. Tenth uh, of January, twenty seventeen. Albert Speer, his battle with truth by uh, Gita Sereni, which is actually a book I've read. Fascinating. Yes. Book about Hitler's it's, architect. It's extraordinary. But but now was this bought in in advance of the big job that you got in the last couple of years? Yes, but it was also bought after I brought um, Albert Spears Inside the Third Reich, mm. which I read. So I read his version first, which is very, you know, compelling, brilliant study in how people, you know, manufacture a narrative for themselves. Yes, isn't it just the words, it wasn't me again and again and again? Yes, exactly. And he's constructed something that I think he managed to, you know, like a great salesman, he yeah. convinced himself um, in the quality of it. This product. Yes. I started by reading Albert Speer's um, Inside the Third Reich because there's a perspective of someone who was actually there, who was, you know, who actually still told themselves and told everyone that they didn't know, mm. that they didn't know the extent of what was going on. Because I was interested in that level of denial and wh- what happened to people who otherwise might consider themselves to be good people. Um, because I was playing a character that wasn't in the original book. So that's what I did. I studied as much as possible to try to find out how someone can think they're okay yes. and do that. Then you read her book and Gita Sereni, because what you what you get when you read Albert Speer's book is a relatively convincing, um, you're not sure if you believe him, but you could, that he actually didn't know certain things and think, and I read it thinking, God, is it really possible to be that close to the centre and not know? Wow. Mm. And then you read her book and realise that even the truth, that version that he convinced himself was actually also just a lie. Yes. That, he, that the point when he said he, he wasn't there, he was, he knew. And the entire constructed tapestry that he'd, that he'd built the future of his life on in denial was just lies. And this is the thing about Albert Speer is that he... he- was one of the few high up Nazis he wasn't killed. He 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 went to prison, didn't he, for a bit? But he bet he just he got away with it basically. Twenty years. Yeah, twenty years. He got away with it. But also he was despised by the other Nazis who were with him. Mm. Um because they all still but but not but, but for his betrayal of Hitler. And you know, that a lot of those old Nazis just went to their graves. And also a lot of the believers mm. still worshipping Hitler and thinking that it was all he was it was a great betrayal yes went to their graves or Argentina which is a whole different movie (laughs) yes exactly so 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 let's talk about The Man in the High Castle what a fantastic series and is that now sadly R.I.P. that show oh yes no that finished a while ago oh did it yeah, and we the fourth season was the last season yeah okay okay it's all done fine did you enjoy playing a Nazi be honest 
Well, um, I like the clothes, <laughs> but um, <laughs> the funny thing is about the funny thing is is that you know the power of of that costume. You're very aware of it when you first put it on, yeah. And then pretty quickly, it just becomes clothes. That's uh, you know an object lesson in what happens to realities, isn't it? That today's nightmare is tomorrow's accepted reality. And and no, I was really, really. It found it really fascinating to play someone who otherwise would have been a decent person who'd been corrupted. It was really, really fascinating. And towards the end, I got to play the other version of him, um, the one that, you know, the one in our timeline. Right. And he was um, a salesman and a good guy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because we all have it all in us as we as we see right now. Absolutely. Well, we'll know? get on to that because we're nearly at the end of this, Rufus. My God, this has been brilliant. Um, I, I, just, I What I love there is the, the banality of of evil in terms of putting clothes on because you start with this uniform of power and then within days you're just used to it and that's how it works isn't it that's how yeah. it happens yes no exactly i mean i became swastika blind <laughs> by the end of the job <laughs> i could so clip i could so clip that sentence out and get you in a lot of trouble <laughs> but but you know to a normal person in a normal set of circumstances i say normal advisedly that if you were to see a swastika somewhere it would arrest your attention and affect you emotionally yeah um i i towards the end in order to carry on with my job had to turn that into it became beige for me yes that's what beige looked like on that job yeah. it was you know a very very difficult job to steal props from because you'd steal something <sighs> thinking, oh that's nice a le- nice letter heading and you'd get home and then when when the fever the the fever dream had worn off you'd realize you had a nazi you know <laughs> there's and, and because these things were made in such incredible detail, the cornflakes had Nazi emblems on them. And, you know, oh. there was nothing that didn't have the iconography stamped through it like Brighton Rock, you know. Mm. So in order to just play a scene like you were a dad and not be doing Nazi acting, you had to become blind to those things. And that's what people do. Gosh, that is so true. It's so true. And look, here we are at the end, uh, 3rd of September, 2019. And 2020, very quiet year, by the way. You obviously haven't been uh, drilling your Amazon over lockdown. You've, all you've bought in 2020 uh, is the Manhattan Toy Tree, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, an act- activity play centre for the kids. Uh, 2019, though, this is one that I, I want to finish on because it feels appropriate. Um, obviously, we've got the Maybelline brow tattoo, clearly. Someone's been yeah, pen- yeah, yeah. penciling in the brows. Sure, maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe yeah, that, was a, that was a terrible mistake. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe he's now in his 50s. Go for it. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is interesting. 3rd of September 2019, proof of conspiracy how Trump's international collusion is threatening American democracy. We can now enjoy this as history, can't we? Yes. Oh. Yes. It, I mean, I literally came back from my job yesterday having, you know, found the, found out finally the news Um on 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 set and it rippled through the set oh. like a, a like a, a, a fire it was really quite quite emotional the realization of what you've been holding on to this for the last four years what what this has been for people i you know? know i know i mean it's going to be messy for a while but my god it was interesting the scenes it's, it's, so to come back to america you know i was so horrified of having to get on a plane had to come back here because I I live here f- for my daughter. Mm. You know, I split up with her her mom. And I've coming up for six years ago. We're amicable, you know, um, and I have my girlfriend half the time. But I can't ask my ex to move to England. So the reason I've made my peace living in Los Angeles is a perfectly nice place to live, and I, I work where I work, you know. But I am here for my daughter, so it's not like I could leave or would countenance leaving. But yeah. the idea of having to come back to four more years. That would push you. That would push you, wouldn't it? Oh, it was depressing me so much. Mm. But so it's been a very happy couple of days. It's amazing though, seeing the footage. People, Someone said, one news pundit said, it's like a regime change. It's not a change in a uh, president. It's a regime change. Yes, but a regime change is being celebrated across the world. Yes. You know, yes. that's extraordinary. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like a normal election result. No. no. So yes, I mean, coming, coming home on the plane 
um, day before coming home on the plane yesterday, it was just a really wonderful feeling, yeah. especially taking into account what the feeling would have been otherwise, which I've been silent, uh, subliminally dreading the whole time I, I was away, I think. Yeah, pushing it right down. I know, completely agree. That moment when he initially looked like he uh, Trump might have won felt like, oh God, I really am depressed about oh, this. I really am depressed about this. I literally said to my girlfriend, because you know there was a few hours different before I went to bed, I was trying to stay up and I had an early start. I called her and I said, I think it's happened again. And she said, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, and I had to go to sleep because I was being picked up three hours later and I'd been up all night. And it just, but then something changed and I stayed up another two hours. And the same thing that had happened four years ago when I actually had to go to rehearsal of art, having been up all night. And remember going out on the street and thinking people look normal, like mm. like they don't know. It's like there's something comforting about watching adverts after something as terrible happened because they're evidence of a world before we knew, yes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember just walking out on the street and just trying to see if people looked different because I was I hadn't slept and I was in shock. So that moment came and went and then it started to, to come back in the other direction so I did manage to go to sleep a bit more hopeful it's a horrible feeling isn't it well listen it's nice to end uh, well it's nice that the world's ending on a positive note first of all it, you know, <laughs> exactly. it is still very much ending but at least Biden's there so that's nice yes exactly um, but also ending ending the podcast on a, on a positive note Rufus I cannot thank you enough you've shared so much and I have I can tell you now logged out of your Amazon account with some sadness because I was very happy in there <laughs> good it's been fun Rufus Jewell you're a superstar thank you so much for doing this thank you so lovely to talk to you there you go. Now you know absolutely loads about Rufus Sewell that possibly you didn't know before. Absolutely love that man. And he really is. He's one of our best actors. And I think I feel in a way, I, won't, I wouldn't say this to him, you know, when I was actually doing the interview. I feel like he's underrated and he shouldn't be because he's brilliant and he's a joy to spend time on set with as well. Um, brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did. Uh, as ever, if you could give us a follow, give us a rate, give us a review, give us a hug in that order uh, I'll be back next week bye I can't be the same always I love the good of baby I don't want you for the rest of my day Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us every day. We do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Ruler Threes, your Brian and Rogers, your Musicals, your Bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin F-E-A-3709. Oh, 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 that's our Twitter name. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.